to Psalm 82. Turn in the Bible to Psalm 82, and then we also turn at the back of uh, your hymnals to page 933. <clears throat> Let's read together Psalm 82, and then we'll follow that by reading Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 23, section 2. Hear the word of the Lord, Psalm 82. God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Vindicate the weak and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, and all, you, all of you are sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is you who possesses all the nations. And then we'll turn to Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, Westminster Confession of Faith 23, section 2. It is lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of a magistrate when called thereunto, in the managing whereof, as they ought especially to maintain piety justice and peace according to the wholesome laws of each commonwealth so for that end they may lawfully now under the new testament wage war upon just and necessary occasion let's pray we ask the lord that you would bless this your word and help us to understand this portion of the confession we pray that you would help us to think biblically and think in accordance to your word but we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> um, I was uh, told years ago some things that made me think a whole lot about this section, section 2. Um, the part that I want to look at first is section 2 begins with that first statement. It is, a, it is lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of a magistrate when called thereunto. This statement is very contrary to what I was told before at a Reformed Presbyterian church. When I first became a, a Christian and I came out of the Catholic Church, and well, before that, I went the route of uh, visiting various other churches, but I ended up landing in a Reformed and Presbyterian church. But I heard a minister say something like, that it was inevitable if a Christian person went into politics that, especially at a national level, that it was inevitable for them to become corrupt. Um, it was going to lead to their corruption. Now, his analogy that he used is not fitting to repeat in the, uh, the ears of children. 
um, I would say I'm going to change the analogy a little bit. Uh, it's like sending a hen to a, a den of wolves. It's basically they're just going to get devoured. You know, it's inevitable that that would happen. Um, in some senses, it's a, I, I call that a statement of prophetic absolutism. Like you're saying that this is something that would inevitably happen if, if a Christian gets involved in that. This is also contrary, this statement is contrary to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Because it says, it is lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of a magistrate when called thereunto. Now, what might be the danger from Scripture that a person going into political office could become corrupt? And one verse that I think of, especially if they're involved in certain political circles, is 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now, you might say that this particular calling going into politics, especially depending where they go, might be something that's not fitting for someone who is immature in their faith. And one definition of immature in in their faith would be susceptible to change, susceptible to the influence of others, maybe being a people pleaser, or one who fears men rather than God. But there are many other callings where if a person is like that, that they're also going to be in dire trouble if they go into those callings as well, aren't they? Um, the military. There's a lot of uh, vulgarity and, and wickedness that goes on among the men and women involved in the military. But it doesn't mean that a person going in the military will become corrupt. There are a lot of members of the OPC who serve in the military as well. So, in the mind of some Christians, having to move or maybe even live in Washington, D.C. to serve at the federal level of government would be one of the most corrupt places for a Christian to serve. And surely, if they have to move to Washington, D.C., they're going to become corrupt, aren't they? Well, I looked it up on the OPC website. We have at least three churches in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. as a network of uh, PCA churches. Um, I did notice some strange and interesting things on some of the PCA church websites that were um, a modified new catechism. might be interesting to read, but um, things of that sort. But here's the thing. Even if you had to move and serve in Washington, D.C., it doesn't mean that you have to hang out with the politicians when you're not at work. You could spend time with the church. If bad company corrupts good morals... Spend a lot more time in the company of the saints. God's people are everywhere. It's, it's not just in the South. There, even in New Jersey, there were some very sound, faithful churches in New Jersey. And even in Washington, D.C., you'll find some, some faithful Christian reform believers that you can become a part of. And that is important. Uh, section 2, speaking of Christians who are lawfully called to serve as magistrates... It says, in the managing thereof, you could say of that office, as they ought especially to maintain piety, justice, and peace according to the wholesome laws of each commonwealth. (coughs) Now, let's look at each of these areas 
that a Christian ruler should support or try to maintain. Let's look at the first one, piety. It says that a Christian ruler ought to seek to maintain piety. That's a word you kids might not have heard too much, but piety can be defined as having a true and sincere faith. A pious person has a true and sincere faith rather than someone who maybe just goes through the motions, you could say. In the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith book that's published by the OPC, I found this amazing little citation, but I did cite it using the, the New King James. It's also very good in the King James. Second uh, Samuel 23, verse 2, speaking of the piety necessary of a ruler. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me, He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. What a fabulous little verse there in 2 Samuel chapter 23. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Now, it is fitting and appropriate, and it is a practice that we have in the United States that in many different areas of government, we have chaplains. Maybe you're not not familiar with that. We have chaplains for the police force. We have chaplains for the military. We have chaplains for the House of Representatives. We have chaplains for the Senate. We have a chaplain, I'm I'm pretty sure, even for the White House. Um, Now, we might not prefer those particular chaplains who are in office. Maybe the the chaplains who are in office sometimes reflect those who are in the office, maybe saying the sort of things that they want to hear. But I still think it's a wonderful practice that it's not an absolute separation of church and state, that we should desire to have people who are pious, have a true and sincere faith, who rule over us. Um, I do believe if we have a spiritual revival, I think there would be a revival of the chaplains who serve in those various offices as well, that God would give God-fearing chaplains to these offices. Now, civil rulers, they ought to have a piety, a faithful, consistent faith. But I believe what it's saying here is that they ought to influence a piety in society according to the wholesome laws of each commonwealth. I think in as far as that they are able, they ought to make an influence for godliness in the community is what the confession is saying here. Let's look at the next one. They are to maintain justice. Speaking of the magistrates, we we went over this last week, but Romans 13.4 says a magistrate, it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. That's the way God restrains evil in society is through the use of a magistrate who bears the sword not in vain. That's the power to execute. That is the power to use lethal force in the defense of someone um, in the call of duty. Regarding justice, a beautiful classic passage regarding justice is found in Micah 6.8. 
He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. It, the, the preceding verses in that passage talk about what shall I render to the Lord? Shall I sacrifice uh, a thousand bulls or a, a thousand sacrifices? Should I even give the fruit of my body? Like someone would even sacrifice their own child in service to the Lord. No. This is what God says. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's a call for Christians today as well. Not just for those during the times uh, of, this, of those sacrifices being enacted. Again, the text we started with this, uh, this evening Um, Psalm 82. If you still have it open there, we'll look at verses 1 through 4. Psalm 82. God in His authority, it says, takes His stand in His own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Vindicate the weak and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. That is the role of the magistrate. They have power to do that, and that's what God calls them to do. Um, The next thing it says here that they are to maintain is peace. Um, Let's turn to 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2. We'll be reading verses 1 through 8. It says here, verse 2. First of all, actually verse 1, chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. The testimony given at the appropriate time for this was appointed for this I was appointed as a preacher and an apostle I am the telling I am telling the truth and not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth therefore I want the men in every place to pray lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension we're called um, to pray for those who are in authority and here, and if you look at verse 4 especially, pray for them that they should come to a knowledge of the truth. They desperately need to come to a knowledge of the truth, some of them, don't they? And if you pray for your rulers and God blesses your prayers, what's the fulfillment? The fulfillment is peace. The fulfillment is peace and freedom for the church to worship. In, in verse 2b, so that... We may lead 
a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Now, that's why we ought to pray. Um, I do believe here when it says, God desires all men to be saved. Um, a lot of translators and a lot of scholars regarding this would say, all sorts of men of every class and tongue and people and nation, both rulers, magistrates, especially men of all sorts. Um, regarding peacemakers, civil rulers, military and police, they're not the only application of when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, but they're a very good application of those, they do fit that description. I don't know if you've seen it before, but we have some uh, police cars in the community. I'm not sure if it's Ball, Louisiana, or one of these other little neighboring towns, but on the back of the police vehicles, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, and it cites uh, Matthew 5, 9 on the back of the cop cars. And that's, that's an appropriate verse to print on the back of a police vehicle, isn't it? The absolute essential calling for a civil magistrate is that they maintain the freedom that God gives us, the freedom to worship God, that his word would be preached and taught, that we would have that freedom. If we do not have that freedom, then the source of only true peace through Jesus Christ cannot be attained. Philippians 4, 6-7, it's there in your outline. It says that the ultimate peace of God can only come through Jesus Christ. In the context of prayer, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus Again, it's not just prayer, but it's prayer and it's through Jesus Christ that the peace of God can be given. You cannot have true peace except through Jesus Christ. You cannot have peace in this life. You cannot have peace with the Father. You cannot be reconciled with God except through Jesus Christ. That's why it's absolutely essential that the Word of God and the Gospel be freely preached and that... that that freedom is continued to be given to the church. Now, regarding the sixth commandment, uh, John Calvin writes this. Uh, regarding the sixth commandment, which says, Thou shalt not murder, John Calvin wrote, Since the Lord has bound the whole human race by a kind of unity, the safety of all ought to be considered as entrusted to each. In general, therefore, all violence and injustice of every kind of harm from which our neighbor's body suffers is prohibited. Accordingly, we are required faithfully to do what lies in us to defend the life of our neighbor, to promote whatever tends to his tranquility, to be vigilant in warding off harm, and when danger comes, to assist in removing it. Now that... That quote there speaks to both justice and peace. Our calling as Christians is to pursue justice and peace. But what better mandate to be given for the civil magistrate? I think that this passage or this, uh, this portion of writing of John Calvin and his institutes applies to all men, but it especially applies to those 
who hold the office of a magistrate. Um, it's geared to the magistrate who helps and is called to restrain violence and injustice. Section 2 closes by saying this. So, for that end, what's the end? Maintaining piety, peace, and justice. They, that's the civil rulers, may lawfully now under the New Testament wage war upon just and necessary occasion. Now, the first person who wrote on this, uh, the first Christian that we know of in history that wrote on this is St. Augustine. And he wrote about this in The City of God, his famous work, The City of God. And this is what he wrote. They who have waged war in obedience to the divine command or in conformity with his laws have represented in their persons the public justice or the wisdom of government and in this capacity have to put to death wicked men. Such persons have by no means violated the commandment Thou shalt not kill. Now, when he says the first reason for a just war, he mentions the, the divine command. What's that? Clearly, that's a reference to when God had commanded the people of Israel to wage war. An example is when, that they're, in, when they're getting ready to enter the promised land. He gives them a, a divine command. Prior times to that, he gives them divine commands um, to wage war. That's not sin for them to do so in accordance with the divine command of God. But the other example of a, of a just war, it says here that uh, those who exercise authority have represented in their persons the public justice or the wisdom of the government and in this capacity have to put to death wicked men. He says, that's not a violation of the commandment, thou shalt not kill. Now, I strongly agree with the New American Standard Translation. Thou shalt not murder is a better translation. Because there's a difference between taking a life and murder. And um, here I think that's a, it's better to say thou shalt not murder using the New American Standard for Exodus 20, verse 13. But he goes... He says that a person exercising authority in government, in that office, he says, for a just, and we could say, call it a just and necessary occasion, like the Westminster says, against wicked men, to take the life of a wicked person is not in sin. He's not guilty of murder. Because he's doing so in an office to help preserve life. Uh, Westminster Larger Catechism it has a really long answer for what is involved, uh, what is called for in the duties required for in the Sixth Commandment. What are those duties? It goes on to say, avoiding all occasions of temptations and practices which tend to the unjust taking away of the life of any by just defense thereof against violence. So, to preserve the taking away of the life of a person and by just defense against violence. If someone is enacting violence against another person, it's a loving and just thing to help defend them that their lives not be taken. 
again, even the larger catechism here talks about, you could say that's a commentary on what is a just war. It's defending someone against violence. In summary, it is lawful for a Christian person to pursue the office of a magistrate, a civil ruler. If you go into uh, the office of a civil magistrate, it doesn't mean that you will become corrupt, that it's some sort of fatalism that you're automatically leaving the Christian faith. You can be a faithful Christian and serve as a civil magistrate. Now, why do we have the condition going on in our nation that we do? Why are things less than the desirable for our nation? Maybe it's because people have been told you are crazy to go and serve in politics because you are going to become corrupt. Well, just why don't we just not let any Christians or any people with any sense or godly morality go into office? And let's see what happens to our nation. That's a good, wise thing to say, isn't it? We need Christians, faithful Christians, enlightened by the Holy Spirit, enlightened by the Word of God to serve in politics. And it would help our nation. It would help any nation whatsoever. It's not something that we should be afraid of, but we have to ask and and see whether someone has those gifts. But it would be a worthy, holy calling to pursue, and it would be a help to our nation. And it would be an honor and a glory. um, I think it would glorify God and would help and assist His church. And our nation desperately needs it, doesn't it? Let's pray together. We thank you, O Father, that you have given us peace only through Jesus Christ. That he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that there, are, there is no source of true everlasting peace except through him. And we do thank you that your, your justice has been shown forth in giving us your only begotten Son. That you remain both just and the justifier of those who put their faith in Jesus And we pray that in imitation of your holy standards of love and peace and justice, Lord, that you would give us godly rulers, those who seek to exercise justice in our land. Lord, help us in this. Help us to have, uh, help us, we pray, that you would raise up uh, both men and women to serve as um, civil magistrates or civil rulers in this nation, uh, both at the state, uh, the local, the state, and the federal level. Lord, we pray that you would work even in the hearts and minds of those who are in office now. Even if we don't agree with their uh, political affiliation, we we do ask, O Lord, that you would bring them to a knowledge of Christ, that they would come to know the truth of who you are and that they would come to know the truth of your holy word and especially that Jesus Christ is the only way. Lord, we pray for their conversion and for their growth and wisdom, that you would give, give us a, um, a peaceful and tranquil life in all godliness and in all dignity. Bless your church and bless your word unto us. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's turn to uh, 1B. How blessed is the man. Let's stand and sing 1B.